You know what? I do want that. All right. <laughs> oh, welcome to Bonehead. I'll be back. No, he won't. It's just me and James Let's now. Let's practice our new theme song. Bonehead. Nothing but Bonehead. It can be your head. This just went south. All right. We Are we ready? Poop jokes. We ready? We get poop jokes. We get poop <laughs> jokes. We get sacks and sacks of poop <laughs> jokes. You get sacks and sacks of shit. Are you seriously looking at yourself in the... I was checking my hair, yeah. He spent a lot of time on his hair. All right. So, I'm sorry. Some of Joe us... Joe the Narcissist Lewis. Yes, I. the one thing I have, I checked on. All right, are we all are we ready? I noticed he didn't check it inside his pants. Ooh. I said it was the one thing I had. Hell, I'm sorry. I didn't say I had my pecker. <laughs> In fact, I'm pretty sure I don't have my pecker. Thanks for bringing it up, James. Pecker. <laughs> Great movie. The best James Waters. James Waters. Waters? John Waters. And no, it's not. Serial Mom. Serial Mom is not my favorite, actually. Well, you're a dick. It does have uh, Christina Ricci in it, though. Are we ready? I'm Thought we were. All right, welcome to Bonehead. Why am I holding a House of Usher poster? Because you yes. don't want it to fall. It's not a poster. It what? Yeah, what did Courtney Joyner say it was? Because I said it was an insert, and he said it wasn't an insert. Yeah, it was I can't something remember. Else. But it's not a poster. And we didn't record that because we were but having a conversation yeah, before yeah. the episode, right? But you're holding it so it doesn't fall, because if you let it go, it fall. That's why you're holding it. No, yeah, it's but you're just trying to say the fall of what? Oh, so it'd be the fall of that. I didn't actually intend that. But oh, that wow. Be, it would be because he wouldn't shut the, the hell up about it. I thought he was being a smartass about no. the fall of the house of Usher. No. This is original, and it's signed by a guy named Roger Corman. I'm not exactly for sure who that I is. That's old man Corman's boy. Yeah. Yeah. So Who now himself is an old man. No offense, Bent Roger. But he's in his 90s. That's yeah. pretty old. You're not Kirk Douglas old. That's true. But anyway. We hope you all will live to be. We have this House of Usher thing up here, and if it was if the camera was pointed that way, or if you were watching this or listening to this, it doesn't make any difference if you're listening to this. I am holding my House of Usher poster, original, signed by Roger Corman, but who starred in this masterpiece? It's not a poster. <laughs> who starred in this masterpiece poster? Well, according to it, it's now Vincent Price. Vincent Price. Vincent Price, that's right. Star. We are going to um, talk about Vincent Price this episode. Why? Because Vincent Price. And how did we just now get to Vincent Price? Be, I don't know. We Vincent Price to me is. Okay, so in the great scheme of actors I love, modern day. The great day, scheme, not the shitty scheme. No, this the, isn't the, an there ocean's, is one. This there isn't is Ocean's 12. This is Ocean's no, 11. Yeah, we're, we're, we're doing the good. Of schemes. Uh, of schemes, yes. Um, <laughs> but in, 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 in that entire thing, Vincent Price is probably my favorite actor of all time. There's a couple different reasons for that. A, he played a lot of different roles. B... All of them were the Witchfinder General. No, not really. But B, he... Um, his voice. If you heard his voice, you're like, that's Vincent Price. Yeah. And C... Most people think Vincent Price actor, but he did so much. And one of my favorite quotes by him is, if you limit your interest, you limit your life. I have that on my wall in my office, actually. I, I got a print from Vincent Price Enterprises or uh, whatever. <laughs> They'll um, pick you up. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Actually, there's a Simpson episode where they have Vincent Price. I thought you were dead. No, I just drive a bus now. <laughs> and Marge gets on the bus. I don't know what's... Um, it's a good but, story. It's a good episode. You can tell it's a good episode. It's a James-heavy episode. That's what makes it good. Yep. Anyway, 
He's not Uncle Arthur. <laughs> oh my God! If I could do a perfect Uncle Arthur impression, I thought really good. <laughs> I would do entire episodes where I just did that voice. No, but you anyway. could do Arthur Christmas for some reason. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Uh, anyway, but that's he oh, had that Arthur, voice. He's some Arthur Christmas. He uh, he he had the voice and the voice that carried through everything, and you just heard it. And that voice could sound wounded, it could sound hurt, but it could also literally scare the living daylights out of you. Um, so I can talk about Vince Price for a long time, because he really is. Uh, but was me, he scary? He could be. I never thought of him ever as scary, even as a child. Well, that's because you uh, don't have a soul. I don't think that's it. It I'm could be. Sure. I don't want to care. I, I mean, you have a good point. Right. <laughs> I think there's several other things that limit me. But, you know, and, and actually, and, and again, going back to his quotes, he would actually agree with you that he never played anybody scary. No, he played men, I'm stealing the other one, that yes. were besieged by their destiny. No, by fate. By fate. I have never played a villain. I play men besieged by, by fate. There's one role that I can tell you where he actually creeped me out a little bit, and that was his, his uh, The Pit and the Pendulum. Yeah, because he flipped so dramatically. Yeah, well, because he was the pendulum. That's not true. He did not play. Oh my god! Though I would have actually watched that. Boris Pickett. He played the pit. Yeah. I would have actually watched that movie if it's just been surprise. Fucking slow. I'm coming slowly for you. Yeah, yeah, I would, no, I would watch that today. I had a hooker say that to me once. But no, it wasn't. She it, never got there. Yeah. He wasn't. He wasn't particularly except for like the pit. The pendulum was the one that I specifically remember. He really. He really creeped me out. But it was just his presence in every, any movie. He, if his if no, he, was he there, had a lot of screen presence. His screen presence, he would pull you in. He he was. I mean, early on in his career, I would argue that he was he was the character actor yeah. that they put in stuff that we talked about character actors in another episode. But that you would just see and be oh, like um, Tower of London, the original one, not the Corman remake. But Boris Karloff was the star, and he played just a duke, and he's a very cowardly duke. But when he's on screen. Of Earl, Earl, Earl. <laughs> we can take Did your you Earl. check your Earl? <laughs> anyway, um, and so there's just this great chemistry there. That so, was his first horror role. But let's, uh, but, yeah, which is not really. It's, it's a horror movie, but it's historical horror. It's about the Tower of London, where if if you're a fan of British history, where kings and dukes were killing one another, yeah. to seize power. Of uh, Earl. Earl. <laughs> and that's what Tower of London was about. Let's but let let's, the bald one speak. But I was saying, let's, what I was saying, Jim. Well, no, it's like, before we get into his actual career, let's start at the beginning. Yeah. So, Vincent Price was born May 27th, 1911. In Can Saint I start at the prehistory? Because it's actually relatively, or I think it's interesting. You may well, not. So, well, let well, him I was finish gonna, when he was born. Yeah, so okay. he was born in 1911 in St. Louis, Missouri, and he actually was born into a very successful company. His grandfather was actually the inventor of the first cream of tartar baking soda. That's true, Ooh. and um, his and both him and his father founded the National Candy Company. Um, I tried to find what candies they specifically made. They but made, he was born they, born born Vincent Leonard Price, Price Jr. Jr. His so his grandfather was Vincent Carter Price, right? Um, and and so Vincent. The interesting story there was Vincent Carter Price. Was a Welshman. He was what was called a black Welshman. He had very dark, piercing black yeah. hair and eyes and all. He, but he had a baby face. And this is a true story. Uh, matter of fact, if he was a wrestler, he'd have been the good guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, the story is in 
Vincent Price, A Daughter's Biography, Victoria Price. We're going to tag Victoria Price in this because a lot of what I'm going to talk about comes from this book. You should pick up this book. And you should go see Victoria Price wherever. She travels quite a bit talking about her father. And she also does a blog about positive living. And I seriously, I am a pessimist by nature. I do read it occasionally. Yeah. I can't say I read everyone. But check it out. We recommend Victoria Price. Keep um, going. But he, he talks about it. So this starts with the grandfather. Mm-hmm. Um and he decided he, he was a druggist. He ran a pharmacy. Yeah. And he decided to go back and become a doctor because, you know, money. He became a doctor, and he had such a baby <coughs> face, people honestly couldn't believe he was a doctor. So they wouldn't go see him. So he moved in back in with his parents, with his wife and all of that stuff, because he had no other choice, and um, started doing chemistry experiments in yeah. the basement. And that's how he created baking powder. Yeah. Oh, really? Um, yeah. But yeah, Bacon and and died a multimillionaire in the nineteen nineteen eleven was his. Yeah, and he also he also went belief. around. He uh, he was he managed to sell. He sold vanilla and lemon extracts that yep. he that he made himself as well. So he went from literally being he did everything you're supposed to do. He got an education, went to medical school, did all that stuff, and people just thought he looked too young to be a doctor. Right, and so he ended up becoming. It, a chemist, effectively, using what he had learned at different places. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, you're right with yeah. his... So, yeah, anyway. Yeah, he founded the National Candy Company. They specialize specifically in jelly beans and jawbreakers. Okay. And, and what's interesting about that is that's actually how the family survived the Depression because they did go from multimillionaires, his grandfather. Well, obviously, that didn't survive the Depression. Right. But the thing that made them safe wasn't the baking powder because they, of course, that expired, the patent or whatever right. expired uh, on that. Um, is that they were able to go back and they sold what was affectionately called at the time, and we still use the term today, penny candy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what could you afford? If you could afford anything sweet during the Depression, what could you afford? Right. Penny candy. Yeah. And the, the reason that's relevant is the family mythos, so to speak, <coughs> um, like many people in this time, he was scared to death of poverty. Right. Even though they weathered the... Depression. That's one of the reasons he always tried to work. The Marx Brothers were the same way. Groucho was still he would he would talk about going around in the house and turning off lights, even though he was a multimillionaire. After it, he goes anybody that went through the depression. And yeah, and, and that one of the things that Victoria Price talks about in this book is did Vincent Price's father make it sound worse than it was to instill that message in him, but how much it haunted him. Right. And so that's, uh, but yeah, yeah. So the no. penny candy and all of that stuff. Yeah, and then they became one of the biggest candy companies in the country at the time. And um, their candy company is actually a, a national landmark, historical landmark in St. Louis currently. Is so, it really? Yeah. Is it still owned by the Prices? It is not owned by the Prices. It's actually owned. This Wonka it. fell about them out. No, <laughs> it's, um, if I... Oompa Loompa. I didn't write down that note, but I think now it's currently being used like as a U-Haul company. No more candy? No more candy. Um, oh my God, does Vincent Price write the U-Haul to you? I'm Vincent Price. But Vincent was... <laughs> but uh, Vincent was actually the youngest of four. Uh-huh. And um, because the candy company was so... was doing so well at the time of his birth, the National Candy Makers Association actually christened him the Candy Kid upon his birth. Yeah. Really? Yes. Yes, I think actually... And, and again, another reason that you should check out this book is there's this great insert of photos. And so you get St. Louis businessman Vincent Leonard Price Sr., his father. Mm-hmm. Um, you get, though, the candy kid. There's a photo of him as the candy kid. 
Yeah. Love his hair. Yeah, I was about to say, well, that's the old, I mean, the old royalty hair. Yeah, 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 yeah. The old. So anyway, this this book is great for that. You get to see photos of him. Um, but yeah, so he was, I, I had to actually figure out the candy kid part. Yeah, yeah, he was, uh, he was, he was, he was the candy kid. Um, and he, so pretty much at birth, he was already prone to stardom. Um, and I don't have anything other than that, other than, uh, you know, sh so he went to Yale, I believe. Yes. Yep. Um, and from Yale, he went to London, yep. where he got his first big break in a production of the play Chicago. Okay. And from Chicago, um, he took the leading role in of Prince Albert in Victoria Regina. Regina? Yeah. Regina, not Regina. It's Regina. Why are you thinking of Regina? I don't know. Hold on. When I is need, it he thinking of Regina? I need to find uh, a... New Regina. <laughs> but that production was, I'm going to keep going to get the, my little Get the Regina out of your yeah. mind? I'm afraid that castration took care of that, sir. The production was so successful that it actually went on the Broadway. Uh -huh. And uh, he stayed Where with Where there's that, tons of Reginas. <laughs> and he went to stay with that production for three years. Um, one of his best quotes is about the reason is uh, he said he came along with the sets. And that's that's one of the things that. What do you mean he came along with the set? Because they, when they brought the play from London, yes, he came with it, and it became a starring vehicle for another actress. Uh huh. And he was, I think, he was like the only actor who came with it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say, and, and the part about that is one of the things that you'll, and, and I do seriously, if you're interested in old Hollywood, because this talks about names and 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 people that if you love classic Hollywood, Turner classic movies in written form here. Um, but and I'm, I'm forgetting the actress's name. But one of the great things that this book does, because it actually she finds her note, and one of the things was he was a notorious pack rat, so she's able to actually find notes that he made to himself. Um, and I bought a book off of her that has his signature in it. So anyway, um, that being said, the interesting part about all of that is uh, he got offered a movie deal very early on, mm -hmm. and he actually turned down the first movie deal because the actress, when it moved to Broadway told him, listen, if you get a deal now, you'll have a deal. Right. And it will pay really well now. But, and she said it much more eloquently, and she he talks about it in, in detail in, in letters. Um, but basically saying, or you can do this and be an actor. Right. And he took the artistic way and said, no, I want to I want own my craft. I want to, and that's one of the reasons why he didn't start necessarily as a leading man. He turned down that deal to be yeah, because an actor. And after Broadway, what did he do? You know, what did he do after Broadway? Um, oh shoot, he worked for Orson Welles. Oh yes. Well, you know, he actually started working for Orson Welles at the same time as he was on Broadway. Let me, let me. So was he in the Mercury Theater? Yeah, he started. He got he got a job working for Orson Welles in the Mercury Theater. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. I know he did he did vo he did voice work later because he was Simon Templer. In the Saint, yeah, and he was also he also was on the radio, and he also was the Shadow, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he did do the Shadow for a while. lots of famous people have been the Shadow. But Orson Welles was the Shadow. But I mean, in particular, if when you hear what evil lurks in the heart of man, the Shadow knows that Vincent Price's lot, delivery of that line is what you hear in your head if you know anything about the Shadow. Is it really? That's what I hear. I don't know that I've ever actually heard him do here's, it. Here's the part about. Orson Welles, okay. an excerpt. During the 1937-1938 season, two theater troops were the talk of Broadway. The group theater was performing new work by playwrights such as Clifford Odette, while John Houseman and Orson Welles' <laughs> Mercury Theater was revitalizing the classics. 
After the dismal failure of The Lady Has a Heart, which was a play he had been doing, Vincent was thrilled when Wells invited him to join the Mercury Theatre Company in early January 1938, and he gladly signed a five-play contract. Because he had already made a name for himself, he was given a leading actor's salary, which was then $70 <coughs> a week. It was a significant pay cut from the $350 a week he had received in his last year of Victoria Regina, but the Mercury Theater was the place to be that year. Wells' company had quickly developed a reputation for theatrical innovation and high standards, bringing the classics back to Broadway, yet making them accessible to a contemporary audience. Later on in the book... Um, it talks about their falling out. Um, oh, really? What happened between he and Wells? Uh, well, I'll, yeah, because I didn't know there was a falling out. I'll skip to the blurb about a little bit of the blurb. Initially, Vincent Price and Orson Wells got along. Uh, also, got along well. They seemed to have much in common: two intelligence and talented men westerners who had made names for themselves fairly quickly, and whose strikingly mellifluous, mellifluous voices were fast becoming as famous as their faces. And, of course, their fathers were old friends. Oh. But Vincent soon grew disenchanted with Wells's capricious, capricious and petulant behavior, both as a director and as now an actor. Orson Wells was petulant? Wells had the common affliction of so many geniuses. Mm, was a jackass? His, his greatest concern was for himself. In planning a season and casting his plays, he treated the actors like royalty if he needed them, and then forgot about them completely if he did not. Yep. Shifting them from one play to another at whim, promising them roles, and then reneging on offers uh, if something or someone better was available. Almost all of the actors in the original company ended up disappointed and soon fell into outright conflict with Wells. For the always disciplined Price, or Price sorry, such unprofessional behavior went against everything he believed the theater should be. He later wrote of Wells, I'm sorry I never got to know Orson Wells better, but he came, became a legend before his time. He could have been one of the greatest American theatrical and cinema directors, but he had to act. Whether he directed or acted, a play was his show, and finally, for that reason and for that fact alone, he ignored the contracts and gave no one else any credit. And that's why Mercury fell apart. And we will eventually do a two-parter of Orson Welles well, because these boys know that I have a slight obsession. I, There's a Orson, great story I want to tell. That Orson Welles. But we're doing Vincent's story. No, no, I was going to say, but Vincent Price and Orson Welles, I don't care if they were outright in argument. Would, wouldn't you just want to be a fly on the wall? Oh, God. I'd give my right nut. Yeah. I mean, literally. I'm not because, exaggerating. No, no. I mean, because Vincent Price is. To have been there at that time for 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Just to, I mean, sure, sure, travel back in time, kill Hitler. But on the way, boys, let's make a stop, or actually go back. Let's first. go back a few years and pick up some penny candy. <laughs> yeah, and sit and watch a show, boys. Sit and watch a show. And I think that's I'd really... I'd love to watch him and John Houseman blow up. Yeah, because I, I think that's really one of the things that, again, Vincent Price... Um, and, and if you haven't watched our C Courtney Joiner episode, go please, watch it. Please, please, watch please. Watch that episode because him talking about Vincent Price, and he does one Vincent Price impression, and it just, I can hear Vincent Price saying it. And I, anyway, but just to think about what could have been if things would have been different, and imagine if, and, and by the way, Roger Corman and Vincent Price, I, I love those movies. They are of their time, and the Poe ones, I. It hits my Poe loving heart and all that stuff. But can you imagine if Vincent Price and, and Orson Welles would have made movies together? Oh, yeah. yeah. Which, let's take a break. Okay. And then we'll talk about his move to Hollywood. Out. Yeah. Um, so right after working with Orson Welles in the Mercury Theater in 1938, Vincent moved to Hollywood. 
Hollywood. Does anybody know what he he made his debut in the movie Service List Deluxe? Deluxe. Yes. Do you know anything about that movie? Because I was you know that's actually one. The service is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> that's one Vincent Price film that I've never actually get to see, and I should because it is it's his first movie. It's his first movie. I should see that. But no, I haven't seen it either, and I didn't even get to see what the What movie year was that? Was that 1940? 1938. 38. 38. Yeah, he got a job right in moving into Hollywood. I think he I think he already had... Uh, but yeah, a lot of them did. A lot of Broadway, famous yeah. Broadway actors. I mean, Orson would be right behind him. Right. And from there, so from Service Deluxe, uh, he played roles in movies like The Private Life of Elizabeth Ethics, mm-hmm. The House of Seven Gables. He got a lot of... Uh, in, in, Laura was a hit, and he got he Laura got Laura is praise. the one that people forget about that yeah. he's in. Laura, well, because once again, he is not the main. No, no. In that, but again, he plays. So if you've seen Laura, and if you haven't, it's a classic noir film. It's not a horror film. No, it's a classic noir well, there, mystery. The, we're not even into horror yet. No, Other no. than Tower of London, there's not. Well, much the Invisible to speak Man of. returns. The Invisible. Well, I yeah. have that here. Yes, he but played I mean, the Invisible Man. But I mean, that was. A, I don't see Vincent. Was he in that picture? <laughs> um, what? But no, you're are you right. sure that wasn't Claude Rains? <laughs> Just pre- sounded like Vincent for the sequel. Let's face uh, it, I prefer Kevin Bacon over any of these people. Ooh. Anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I mean, most of the movies that he did, he did a lot of biblical films for a while and a lot of royalty films because he had that presence. Yeah, but in Laura, he plays. One of Laura's, uh, he plays, I guess, the fiance, if I remember correctly. The suitor. Yeah. And if you've never seen it, Laura is dead. I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah. I haven't seen it in a long time. Laura is dead, but maybe she's not. What? Do, do, do. And it's all about this private detective gets hired to find her. A private dick. And he's, of course, interrogating. And, of course, Vincent Price plays... And again, long before he's doing horror, this really he's. It would make sense that he would be involved in her disappearing in some ways, and he's being so swarmy, smarmy, smarmy yeah, and, and smarmy. just uh, evasive. And you're like, why is he being evasive? Or does he really just not know? And again, I, I bought Laura to be honest because I love Vincent Price, and when he's on screen, you're just like, God, he's you want to hate him, you really <laughs> do, and it's. And I love his surprise, and that's why I love him, I think, is that even in Laura... You want to love to hate him? Uh, yeah, I mean, when he's a villain. I mean, and we'll talk about some of the other ones, but there's movies where I'm like, God, he just... It's kind of my same fascination with Christopher Walken. And that that would have been my dream, is for yeah. them to do a movie together. Yeah, he also worked on movies like Lever to Heaven and Champagne for Caesar. Um, which I, I have not, seen none of these. Neither have I. But these these were his early works. This is what he when he when he got to Hollywood, these were the movies... Um, he was great in all these movies, from what I could find. But you've never seen them. Uh, but uh, what I've read, I him, think he phoned it in for the champagne. Caesar <laughs> had it down. Um, and what and what I read on did these he movies, play champagne or it, Caesar? No, but what I read in these movies is he. Oddly enough, he uh, got Caesar crazy. was played by Don Milouis. Caesar was played by Croutons. <laughs> oh, with some mozzarella in the salad. Keep going. Why are you pointing down? Because that's where we're going. Well. We've been there since episode one. Let's oh, not. <laughs> I, I put my heart and soul in. Nelly said we were going down, down, baby. Low Street in a Range Rover. Is that the line? Street Sweeper, baby. Not really. Let it go. I've been shimmy, 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 shimmy now. 
Anyway, light it up and take a puff. But this is where uh, pass Vin- it to me now. But Vincent Price did Keep find a niche, the and he he pretty much stayed in this niche for a long time of playing the villain for either dramatic or comedic effect. Mm. Now, where did he get his biggest role? Where was his big? What was his first big hit? His big hit was in 1953 with House of, of Wax. Wax in 3D. If I'm in not mistaken, 3D. It was well, one of the top ten biggest pictures of that year. Now, the thing that's cool that most people don't know. Um, so I hear this a lot, and the Boneheads know what we're talking. Are going to know what I'm talking about? But I hear, you know, that Hollywood doesn't do anything new anymore. Everything's a remake. Uh, I gotta let you all know they've been doing it a long time. Mystery yeah. at the Wax Museum. Damn, House of Wax was a remake of Mystery at the, of, yes. at the Wax Museum, which was originally done, I believe, in 1930. It was a long um, time ago, before and it had been done as a radio play before that. Yes. And and it's, I, we met, here, so let's name drop a little bit. Sid Haig, a few years ago, we watched him be interviewed, and they asked him his favorite horror film. Do you remember this, Chad, at all? And he a said little. House of Wax was his. And I've seen House of Wax. I own it. It's right there. There's my copy. I enjoy the movie. It, the 3D does not hang, does not. I was say, and it was a gimmick movie. It was a gimmick movie. It totally was a gimmick movie. It was, oh look, 3D. Yeah. And, and the entire There's scene, an if you have scene. any doubt, it literally is a guy playing with the old ping pong paddle, yep. selling them on the street outside the wax museum. And it stays on that scene for a minute and a half. At least. Just so everybody would enjoy it in the theater. And I bet in 1953, that was amazing. Right. What's the problem 60 years later? It, 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 well, an avatar. Damn James John Cam- James. James Cameron. Damn you, Jimmy John Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> well, With your delicious sandwiches. Well, you Jimmy Jack my childhood. One of the things I do want to say, and I know we jumped ahead a little bit, but and again, it's, he wasn't well, that the main. Was his fault. You're right. House mm-hmm. of Wax was the main. Was his big debut as as the quote unquote main. But he had been in the Three Musketeers again. Yes. Oh, uh, was he Cardinal? Um. Cardinal Richelieu. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you think, when, I mean, obviously, I figure that's a given when you say three much. He's Cardinal Richelieu. Uh, I yes. wouldn't remember that guy's name. Uh, Abbott and Curry. He's the one that touched me? No, he's Tim Curry. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Curry wouldn't touch me. Uh, <laughs> he said I wasn't uh, good enough. <laughs> Abbott and Costello. That was for Haley. He was the voice of uh, the, the Invisible, Invisible Man, Man because yeah. he played the Invisible Man in the Invisible Man Returns. In the yep. Invisible Man? Because Invisible Cause Claude Rains was busy uh, trying to see Humphrey Bogart off into that plane. <laughs> but the, what It's like the, three people out there going, oh my God, did he just make a reference no, to but, No, nobody's doing that, Joe. No one, one of the... Another one that he got a lot of credit for that most modern audiences won't know, and again, wasn't the same. Uh, oh, I almost, I almost said the Gene movie. Tierney, Dragonwick. Dragonwick. I've never seen Dragonwick. Dragon so Dragonwick is a drama, and a, it know, doesn't have dragons. Uh, no. Oh. Does it have Targaryens? A simple Connecticut farm girl. Oh, I'm sorry. Is recruited the hell by a me. distant relative. Does she a, get naked? An aristocratic patroon. I'm bringing Patroon back. Does he stop by and he says, you can stay at my farm, aristocratic Patroon, to be but you go- can't touch my gene tyranny. To be governess <laughs> to his young daughter in it, in their Hudson Valley mansion. It was based on a novel, and he got a lot of credit for that. Matter of fact, if you pull up the movie, a lot of times what you'll see, and it's one of his more famous shots, of it's him, um, I haven't pulled up here on my iPad, the top hat shot. 
Oh, that, that's yeah. a pretty famous shot of Vincent Price. I don't know of how course, it if the, that's it's not going to show up on YouTube. Uh, if you're listening right now, how'd that look? Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's Vincent Price in a top hat. Yeah, it's Vincent it's, Price. But it's one of the more famous. It's Sarah Topham hat. <laughs> Somebody's been forced to watch the TV Lucky Box. Oh my God, Thomas. The tank engine? Oh, he's choo-chooing me right to hell. Um, Sir Topham Hat. But yes, so he did... Uh, um, he also was doing films before that uh, where he was getting more attention. One where he was... No, where he was the name. I love name. your sentences. Where he was the name. Where he was Movies the Movies that made... They're just not as well known today, but they're still highly ranked if you look them up. The Baron of Arizona, which was a biography picture about a master swindler. And Vincent Price played the master swindler. It's just an hour and a half going, it's hot! It's hot! Uh, James Revis painstakingly spends years... <laughs> Only he floats around like the Baron from Dune. <laughs> I, wish so, yeah. I wish somebody would create some kind of invention that blows cold air in this hot environment. Anyway, the Baron of Arizona. Everybody in here just blows more hot air. I need a nice spritz. The Baron of Arizona, if you like con Stop movies, it was directed by one Samuel Fuller. <gasps> oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know that. He, he, he never went hungry. <laughs> That's terrible. Do you know who Sam Fuller is? He's a fascinating guy if you ever watch. Uh, we've talked about him a little bit on the show. Read his... Uh, Look, I have his autobiography of the fourth face. If if you love, um, he would he wouldn't say direct. He wouldn't say action. He carried a pistol on set and fire the damn thing to get people to act. If if you uh, the the slogan for the film again came out in 1950 was the lustiest adventure a man ever lived. Uh, but He's if you love movie, B movie director, if you love uh, Catch Me If You Can, you should check out Baron of Arizona because it's based on a true story. And basically, this guy forged documents and land grants, um, and it made him briefly the undisputed owner of all of Arizona. That's a good story. It's a story. I mean, it's a biography. Is it Chad's checking happened. his Gmail? Uh, well, no, I was looking for Sam Fuller. I, I was looking something up about him. So bite it, my ass. You should. Well, do you want me to pick a spot or yeah, just pick, anywhere? Just, just, just go for nibble. It. Mm. Can you so, shave a part of it for me? Um, so again, he was doing biographies. He had done religious films. He would continue to do religious films for a long time. Are we getting to the um, horror stuff yeah, anytime Sam, soon? So because because I looked it up while he while he figures out Sam Fuller was in the last movie with Dennis Hopper where he actually did the whole thing with the gun. Oh, did he? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never seen the last movie with Dennis Hopper. I'd the, like to. Do you have a copy of that? No. I'd like the, to see that. The other thing He's that you should check out if you love classic mm -hmm. film. Is he was also doing pirate films and things like that. And one of the ones that's not a great film, but you should check it out just for who all was in it. I refer to Adventures of Captain Fabian. Have you ever heard of the Adventures of no, Captain Fabian? No, I thought you were going to give me Ice Pirates. Oh, my God. Is Vincent Price an Ice Pirates? No. Then shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but he's also, he's in VeggieTales. Listen to this. <laughs> Listen Listen to this cast. <laughs> That's what I've been told. Er Those er lion Jesus cucumbers wouldn't <laughs> lie to me, would they? <laughs> Errol Flynn. Lying Jesus cucumbers. Errol Flynn, Vincent Price, and Agnes Moorhead. Oh, Agnes Moorhead's um, over there with the bat. It's, it's, it's Errol Flynn becomes movie. involved with a servant girl and sees him as an access as a way to gain Do access to wealth. Do you think he wealth. and Agnes Moorhead ever got it on? 
Because they were in a couple of things together. I did not know that then. No. Uh, Errol Flynn or, or Vincent Price? Vincent Price and Errol Flynn, we know they got it on. What we're say, talking about is Agnes Moorhead and VP. Maybe. Uh, there's And again, there's photos in here you need to see. But... Uh, the thing, what I was going to say about Errol Flynn, we know he got it on with several people, sometimes unwillingly. Woo, look up Errol Flynn. My Wicked, mm-hmm. Wicked Ways is his yeah. autobiography. I've got it, I haven't read it yet. It's on my to-read list. Uh, don't spoil it for me. I don't think he comes out well in the end. Are you getting somewhere? Yeah. We're going to make this I go. was trying to get to the point that we know mm-hmm. Vincent Price. I don't think you've ever tried to get to a point. No, we know Vincent Price for horror, but if you watch his films up until realistically <laughs> House of Wax... He didn't do a lot of horror. No, absolutely no, not. Right, yeah. he, and he was, here's the, here's the and problem. He did adventure films. He did mysteries and biographies. He played a lot of heavies, but he didn't. He, you know, he did House of Wax, and that was a huge hit. <coughs> and later he would do The Fly in '58, Return of the Fly in '59. Both of those are really good. Actually, The Fly is a classic film, and the remake's a good movie too. And he, oh, when did he do The Ten Commandments? Ten Commandments was after House of Wax, actually. After yeah. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Mm. Um, but I think, I think the, hold on, let me make sure I'm I've got ignoring my Chad. By the time you get to the Fly sequel, I think you're pretty much cemented himself, or he had cemented himself as the king of horror. The Ten Commandments he did in 1956, so it was afterwards. Yeah. Um, and by the way, the Ten Commandments was a remake. As well. This will be DeMille directed both. Both, yeah. As I was say, that's what I, I I know I hear this shit all the time about and. I'm not saying your argument's invalid. I'm just saying you don't have any kind of historical reference yeah. when we're talking about it. Look at all the, the, the different variations of Charlie Chaplin, for God's sake. Look at all the different... Oh, gee, Christmas. How many virgin, uh, virgins... How many virgins does it take to get to the center? I don't know where you're going with this, but... How many versions are there of the Three Musketeers? Oh, man. Oh, yeah. So I many. Mean, how many versions of Dracula? There's a Milly Jovovich one, right? Of Three Musketeers, right? Oh, God. Damn. Have you ever sat through that piece of shit? Uh, according to her, it's a great film, and it just didn't well, get the Well, that's because she's deserved. sleeping with the director, Paul Anderson. Paul W.S. Anderson. I am so sorry. Paul W.S. Anderson. Yep. Um, so, Vincent Price. <laughs> who did not, to our knowledge, ever sleep, sleep with, with Paul, Paul W.S. W.S. Anderson. We can't say the same about the Boneheads. I, I, Are you getting anywhere? So let's talk about why. Again, I just wanted to set up. And again, actually, in The Fly, he's not The Fly. No. no if we're going to talk about The Fly. No, he's the good guy. He's yeah. the good. He's the, is he the brother-in-law? Of, or is he he's the a brother-in-law, friend? yes. Uh, or he's No, no, no. He's the friend, friend who likes the wife. Yes. Right? Yeah, and it's one of the great scenes ever. And it's one of the greatest stories. If We said earlier, if you get a chance to hear Vincent Price speak... Uh, uh, and do the retrospective. I was about father. to say if you get a. Oh, you said if you get Victoria the chance Price. to. Yes, you said get the chance Vincent to Price. listen to Vincent Price speak. I'm sorry, Victoria Price. Because if you get the chance to listen to Vincent Price speak, you will she be talks about it. dead. No more. <laughs> you have joined the choir invisible. Um. But uh. Uh. Oh dead air. Dead air. Dead, dead air. air. What I was dead trying air. to get to. Did Mississippi kill you? Um. No, they paid me more. Uh, anyway, well, um, they obviously didn't get you any more money I, for this show. I, I don't got anything trying. funny to say. I'm just anyway. Um, back to the fly. The fly is about. Uh, it's about so basically they invent a transporter. Scientific uh, scientists invent a scientifically proven and transport you from point A to point B to point fly B. 
But unfortunately, a fly gets in there. Yep, and when it teleports. Now, again, if you watch the remake, it obviously does it in much different ways. But basically, it the guy ends up with a fly's head, and his butt head is on the fly's yeah, body. Well, the, good, the the reason why Cronenberg is a, is a is a smart guy is that he remade it the way you should do a remake. You took a premise, yeah, and then you did something different with it. Right? Right. You went down a different way. I mean, yes, does a guy still turn into a fly? But in the remake, it's genetic, and it happens over time, slowly. Yeah. So, um, but the the final scene in the film, famous. If you've ever wondered why this line come from, of somebody being struck and screaming, "Help me, help me!" It's from the fly. And at the end, they're trying to figure out a way they can t- transport him back, but they can't find the fly with the human head. And they find it in the end, trapped in a spider web. Um, and the tr- <laughs> story that Victoria Price tells about that is, uh, they focus on it for a second, and then they cut away pretty quickly, and they roll credits. The reason for that was Vincent Price and the other actor in the scene couldn't stop laughing. They could stay serious long enough to stare at it, but they did multiple takes and they just could not stop laughing <laughs> at how ludicrous the effect was Help at that me. time. Uh, so they would they had to cut away, and that's that's how that scene got shot, <clears throat> and that's why it's so quick. And it works, especially in the time period it was made. It worked because you didn't have time to see the flaws. Of the head being placed and all that stuff, mm-hmm. it it flew by. But the real reason was they they couldn't stop laughing. In 1959, he did two movies with a guy named Billy Castle. I don't know if you ever heard of him. His name was William Castle. He doubled it. He did The House on Hainted Hill and The Tingler. Yep. William Castle was known for his showmanship. We've talked about him on the show yeah. before. Just uh, to go see Joe Dante's matinee. matinee. Absolutely. Even though that's not William Castle, no. that's William Castle. Right. And <laughs> I think that does a fantastic job of explaining, and we've talked about matinee before, it does yes. a fantastic job of explaining that time in America, mm-hmm. how gimmicks worked in theaters, mm-hmm. how theater was a thing, how Saturday afternoon going to the theater as a child was a thing. Right. Which is not so much anymore, no. right? Yeah, no one drops your kids off, and no, I, I have no that idea. was one of the favorite parts of my childhood. But it was one of my it is one of my favorite parts, and we probably came around right at the end of that. Yes. So, <clears throat> William Castle, The Tingler, House on Haunted Hill. House on Haunted Hill is about a, a billionaire millionaire who invites a bunch of people over. It says if they can make it through the night, they'll all inherit. I don't remember how much. I, it, I, it's, it's ludicrous. That's five. I think fifty thousand. Fifty thousand or something. And, and it's I think the it's house fifty thousand split between them. I think yeah. actually. And but inflation—that's three bajillion dollars. And the house isn't really haunted, and he's really just trying to kill his wife, and right. then he kills her. I, but it's one of my favorite scenes that, that really did. And another scene where he's completely slimy, and I love him for it. Is at the end. The guy, there's still, it's a house on all this stuff, and they, they come in, and his wife has fallen into a pit of acid. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's walking away, and they're like, and there's the, did he kill her? Did he not? But they're not sure. They didn't witness it. And, of course, she was trying to kill him, too. You learn all that. But he has this great scene as he's walking away at the end where he's <coughs> like, my dear wife, I can't imagine what I'll do without her. And then they say something like, "You." one of them actually loses his temper and says something like, you probably killed her. And I'm like, why would I do that? We'll let the courts decide. 
<laughs> and he walked, and you're set, and I, we should end. We should end meetings with that at yeah. work. Yeah. Why would I do that? We'll let the course decide. I mean, it's not Nobody that asked him a question. <laughs> it's not that exact line, but that's the spirit of it. And he's just like, and and I watched him kill his wife two scenes earlier, and I'm like, yeah. I mean, we probably should give him a chance, guys. But she's also a horrible human being too. They're both horrible people. And it's a very sympathetic scene in that way. So by the time we get through House of Wax, The Mad Magician, the two Fly films, and now we're doing William Castle, well, you are stereotyped as hell. Well, yeah. but 1959, actually 1957, he did the story of Mankind where he played the devil, which is, I, I think I've learned that, you know, before. It's It's got the Marx Brothers in it. I've actually never seen it. it okay. Um, a little bit about the story of mankind. He plays Mr. Scratch, the You've devil. You've talked about it on the show. I've before. talked about yes. it before on the show. Oh, my God. But Here we go again. Once One more children of men. Man. Yeah, I was going to say. The story of mankind was done by an up-and-comer Irwin Allen fellow. Um, and it starred Ronald Coleman, one of his last scenes. Hedy Lamar, Groucho Marx. Hedley. 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 Harpo Marx, Chico Marx, Virginia Mayo, Agnes Moorhead, Vincent Price, Peter Lorre, Charles been through this Coburn, one before. Cesar Romero. John Carradine, who looked like he was 80 then. But, uh, so that was 1957, but you said he was stereotyped. Interestingly enough, you mentioned 1959. He did two other films in 1959. One was a circus picture called The Big Circus, which was about a man trying to keep a circus open. And he was not the main star. That's a little on the nose. Well, it was, one of the writers for that was, again, Irwin Allen and Charles Bennett. It was directed by Joseph Newman, but the funny part about it was, again, the cast included a lot of people that were huge at the time. <coughs> Peter Lorre was in it as Skeeter. Because if I'm going to cast Peter Lorre, Skeeter. Was he the strong man? Oh, we can only... Steve Allen played... Steve Allen. Uh, <laughs> uh, Gilbert Rowland, Vincent Price, Red Buttons. Red Buttons and Vincent Price would work together, and Vincent Price would often be on Red Button Show after that. So again, I while, got TV appearances here. If we ever get to them, I, I know. First off, I thought this was a two-parter. So well, we'll see roll. how big it is. But what I wanted to actually get to is the fact that I heard tell not too big. Um, this was also phrase grower, but not, not a shower. This was also the time, though, if we're going to talk about Vincent Price's life and not just his movies, when we have to start thinking about some of the red scare <laughs> stuff that was going on. Well, and I want to talk a little bit about that, uh, about when he was playing the same, because a little bit about his activism, just to get off of this, because I actually have a quote here I wanted to. <clears throat> so at the end, and this is July 30th, 1950, he was playing the saint. Uh, who's the saint's name again? Simon, Simon Templar. Templar. Yeah, all right. Denounced racial and religious prejudice as a form of poison at the end of an episode of The Saint, which aired on NBC Radio on July 30th, 1950, claiming that Americans must actively fight against it because racial and religious prejudice within the United States fuels support for the nation's enemies. He was later appointed to under the administration. He was later appointed to the Indian Arts and Creative Board under the Dwight D. Eisenhower administration. He called the appointment kind of a surprise since I'm a Democrat. He was supportive of his daughter when she came out as a lesbian, and he was critical of Anita Bryant's campaign in the 1970s. He was an honorary member of PFLAG and amongst the first celebrities to appear in public surfaces announcements discussing AIDS. His daughter has said that she is as close to certain as I can be that my dad had physically intimate... Well, I skipped something here, sorry. 
Dead air. Dead air. Dead, Dead air. air. Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. Hello, so my I, I, I pulled the James. I apologize. But I, he was an activist from the from the jump. Well, and the thing about it is, is he never really left Broadway. Um, I mean, he was doing. We talk about the movies because we can pull up IMDb. But he was in shows. Matter of fact, actually, and speaking of religious films, he didn't only do Christian films. He was in um, the story of Joseph Smith. Uh, very yep. early on, he played. Uh, sorry, the name of that film is why is it? Why am I forgetting the name of the film? Salt Lake Sucker. Keep going. Oh my God, I would actually watch Salt Lake Sucker right now. Um, Brigham Young. Why can't I remember Brigham Young? I should. BYU. He has a university. You, you he played like him slightly older. He played Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. Yeah. Um, so I mean, he 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 did a lot of religious films because he did have that regal royal presence. Uh, at the same time being able to be intimidating. But again, that did lead him to... So if you're familiar with The Blacklist, and, and again, Victoria Price's book, if you're interested in the history of Hollywood... James Spader's great in it. Um, anyway... I want popcorn. Um, Keep going. I don't even like popcorn. That's where, it, this, is, where this is going. Anyway, in the so he was threatened with The Blacklist. He did not... Name names. Name names. And he ended up effectively being kind of on the gray list, <coughs> is the term that they use. Um, that it did cost him. Really and, quick, a history of that was the Red Scare. There was a guy named Joseph McCarthy, said mm -hmm. he had a bunch of names, Hollywood elite people. A lot of people named names because the last thing you wanted to be called was a communist at that time. There right. was a Red Scare going on, communism's going to take over, yada, yada, yada. And a lot of actors, directors, writers, there's a great movie about... Um, uh, uh, Shit, Chad. Edward Murrow? No, not Edward R. Murrow, but... Uh, it's called Good Night, Good Luck. That is a good movie. You should check out Good Night and Good Luck. I was actually going to talk about Breaking Brian Cranston's... Um, oh, Trumbo. Trumbo. Dalton yep. Trumbo was a famous screenwriter, maybe one of the most famous screenwriters, or maybe one of the best screenwriters of all time. Check it out. He got blacklisted, had to write under other pseudonyms for years. And real quick, we will take a break. Uh-huh. 